following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. So we're looking at one of the, or the foundational text as it relates to the purpose statement, not just to the third part of going with the gospel to all people, but the all-encompassing nature, uh, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, which is also referred to as the Great Commission. Now, as we open this and unfold it, I don't know where you're coming from. So you may have been a part of Parkwood for a while and you've heard a sermon or messages or teaching on the responsibility the church has to the Great Commission. You may come from a church that sort of talked about it but never really took it up or it may just be a foreign concept uh, completely to you uh, that, 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 that what, even, what is the Great Commission and why would a church be a part of it? Or, or this may be the most common, the Great Commission is for missionaries. Now, if you don't get anything else out of my sermon, <laughs> I want you to understand the Great Commission is for the church, for all believers. It is not for the missionaries. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20, 16 to 20, invite you to stand as I read. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now, that you would inform our hearts and minds, that you would lead us to change our minds where necessary, that you would lead us to repentance where necessary. Lord, that you would bring our lives in line with what you have taught. May we commit ourselves now clearly to your word in obedience. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So here's the main point of this text. The mission of the church has been clearly established by the Lord Jesus Christ for all time. This is a quote. It is not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for the mission. Now, that's a profound thought if you've never considered it. Here's what's not happening. There's a church, and Jesus come along and said, you know what, it'd be a great idea if you guys wanted to. I know you're Baptist, you'll have to vote on it. If you wanted to, you guys could do the Great Commission. No. But what we see is that God has had a mission and that he has created the church to fulfill the mission. Now let's go to the context of the passage, verse 16. 
Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So why is the Great Commission given with this context? And much has been written about it. Let me, let me try to tie it together in your mind. The Great Commission is given in the context of worship. And if you go back to the Psalms, here's what you're going to see. The Great Commission is not a new idea. It's all over the Bible. So here's an example, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and to make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 96. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So if you've ever heard me preach on this, you've heard me make this statement. It's not original to me. John Piper said it first. Missions exist because worship does not. Because Psalm 67 and Psalm 96 are not being fulfilled, because the nations are not praising God, we go with the gospel to them so that they know that God has, has provided the way into salvation through Christ and to call them into right relationship with him so that they can do what we are all made to do, and that is to glorify God. So with that in our minds, let's now look at verses 18 to 20, and we're going to see four things. Number one, the mission of the church is not optional. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. So I, I, I have to ask a question. What is the basis of the authority of Jesus? Because I said so? No. Who is standing in front of them? It's not just Jesus Christ. It is the resurrected Christ. The resurrection is the basis of the authority in which Jesus says to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. How do we know all authority has been given to him? Because he is risen from the grave. He is who he says he was. He is Lord. So all authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Now this is an authoritative command, a solemn injunction. And it is still in force today. It is the duty of every church and of every disciple of Christ. Leslie Newbigin said, the commission to disciple all the nations stands at the center of the church's mandate. A church that forgets this or marginalizes it forfeits the title to call itself a church. That's a strong statement. Now I'm preaching in a, in a moment to where that's optional. So my daughter, who's away at college, is visiting churches and asked a question about missions to one of the pastors that they were visiting. And this is what she got. You ready for this? Well, our church is not into that. Excuse me? We're not into that. Here's what he's really saying. That's optional. We don't have to do that. 
We're into other things. Our ministry. See, here's how we validate it with Bible language. Our ministry is. Listen to me, friends. Jesus has defined our ministry. He has mandated for us what we are to be about. So let's look at it closely. The mandate is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That is the mission of the church. The mission is to go and make disciples. So what does make disciples mean? It's, it's, it's the core of the command here. It involves instructing and teaching of the Bible, but it's deeper than that. It's, it's formation of life, that our lives are, are brought into conformity with Christ, according to what God has said in his word. Now, the disciples didn't have to go, hey, excuse me, uh, could you tell us what that means? For the last three years, Jesus had brought them into his everyday life and had discipled them. He had made them into disciples. They were ready for this moment. Do you understand God's design? This blows my mind. Everything was resting on 11 dudes. If these 11 people had not obeyed him, you're not sitting here today. This is God's design. And he says to them, basically, do what I've done. Make disciples. So the commission is not this. It's not tell people about Jesus. It's not preach the gospel. It's not grow the church. It's not make converts. Now it's assumed, those things are assumed in it, but it is deeper. He is commanding that we make disciples and to make disciples is to lead a new believer to maturity so that they understand and follow Jesus and then eventually they become a disciple maker too. That they are a disciple who makes disciples. This is how the church stays strong and the church continues generation after generation. Now here's why the church is dying in America. And there are multiple secondary reasons, but I'm going to give you the primary reason the church is dying in America is because we took an American mentality. We, we, we watched movies instead of reading the Bible. And we said, if we build it, they will come. And we designed church around attraction. And we saw how, many, how, many, how much of a crowd can we get in and what can we do to keep the crowd? So we got to do things to keep the crowd coming. And eventually a generation came along that went, what are we doing? Why are we even here? This is kind of boring. Watching a commercial last night from NFL Today. It started at 10 o'clock this morning. Watch the commercial next week. It's religious language. The man is transfixed in the commercial. Our culture is offering a better religious experience for people. But that religious experience will die. Because God never designed the church to be, to be brought about and to center itself around an experience. The way the church continues is making disciples. This is God's design. That's why I spent so much time on it last week. And if you were not here, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon of what it means to do discipleship. Now, Jesus here ties together with making disciples the command, go. So go is modifying the command. So in it, we are commanded, if you will, to go. 
It carries the force of the command. So go means, and, and, and some of you have even heard me say, as you're going, make disciples. Now, that, 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 that is not a bad way to translate it. However, I'm not sure what you hear. So if I say, as you're going, make disciples, and you're going, you know, just as I'm living my life and I'm just doing my thing, I make disciples. That is not what Jesus meant. The word go is very specific. It means change your direction, go in a specific direction over land and water. Now, let's add a third word, air. That we are specifically, directionally going somewhere for the purpose of the command, to make disciples. So we go to make disciples of, of all nations. Now, if Jesus hadn't added that last part, we could have went, you know what? There's plenty to do right here. Let's just focus right here. We, our plate is full right here. <laughs> Listen, I love you. But if we wait till all of you become mature disciples before we go to the nations, we're not going. I love you. If we wait till I become an absolute mature disciple to go to the nations, we're not going. Jesus didn't just say, go make disciples. He said, go make disciples of all nations. Now, the, the Greek word for nations is ethnos. Get the word ethnic. Now, what, what he means by nations is not geographical boundaries. Don't think China or United States or Mexico. Here's what you need to think. You need to think particular cultural groups, people who share a language, a particular way of living. So for example, there's a place in Central Asia about the size of Western North Carolina. There are 39 languages. And imagine Western North Carolina having 39 different languages. That's what Jesus means. He means all individually, those 39 ethnos group of people that we're to, to go to the ethnos. Now, if we're going to do that, the mission of the church requires intentional strategy and sacrifice. I'm going to have to move a little fast to get all this said. So hang with me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So reaching the nations requires strategic going. So Jesus didn't give a general command here and say, go reach as many people as you possibly can. Rather, it's a specific command to make disciples among every people group in the world. And he gave a process of how to do it in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and inside of Judea is this place called Samaria. These are people that Jews hated. So Jesus is saying, don't miss the people you don't really like around you and to the end of the earth or to the nations. Romans 15, 20. Thus I will make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now, this came alive to me several years ago and I was on my way to Romania, which I'll be going back very soon, but I'm not going to Romania to, to reach Romanians. I'm going to Romania this time to train Romanians to reach Romanians. It's very different. I'm going to further the making of disciples so that they make 
disciples. And I'm on the plane and, and I realize over half the plane are people on mission trips. And I'm thinking, if, if we really, if that many of us are headed into this place with the gospel, why is this country not reached? You know how you can tell all those people were on mission trips? Because they all had dorky t-shirts on and they were all loud. So listen up here. This is why we send small teams. We don't want to stand out like the sore thumb loud Americans everywhere we go. We want to strategically go. Now, what do we do when we get there? I don't have time to unpack this, but let me just give you three words of what we do when we get there. And this has led to some conflict in the congregation because we don't understand this with each other. When we get there, we have to do three things or the way we do, it has to be done three ways. Number one, it must be biblical. That what we do must be biblical. It must not just... It can't be a program that we take from America and drop it in another location. It must be biblical. Number two, it must be reproducible. It must be reproducible. And very similar, number three, it must be sustainable. Biblical, reproducible, sustainable. Now, I think that we as Americans, given the nature of how we have prospered as a people and as a land, as American believers, should use what God has prospered us to go to the nations. But when we get there with our prosperity, we must not impose or manipulate the people with it. One of the most harmful things that you can do when you get in one of these other cultures, when you look at the extreme poverty and the difficulty is to reach into your pocket and pull out the greenbacks. And start here. Here's money. Buy this, build this, do this. Is that reproducible in a context of poverty? No. We cannot force on people, and listen, you start pulling the greenbacks out, they'll be meeting you when you get off the airplane. You'll be the hero. And this plays to our emotion here. Now, am I saying we never help the poor? That is not what I said. What I'm saying is that what we do must be reproducible. Because the goal is we need to leave. That's the goal. We need to leave and to get out so that what they do is sustainable and continues. And if it's propped up by American money and American ingenuity, when we pull out, it'll collapse. That's not what Jesus is saying to do in the Great Commission. We make disciples who are going to make disciples. Next. Reaching the nations requires gospel proclamation and identification. Here's one of the other reasons all these people get on planes and go do mission trips and we're not seeing the nations come to faith is because they go over there and do good. All they are doing is 
many of them, not all of them, are just doing humanitarian work. We're going with the gospel, brothers and sisters. It's the gospel that saves, not being nice to them. We go to proclaim the gospel. And when we proclaim the gospel and people are saved, then they identify with Christ through baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here's what we believe. We're a Baptist church. It's not just the mode that we put people under. That's just what the word means. Baptizo means to put under. It is, we believe in believer's baptism. We baptize those who have received the word, Acts 2, 41. Those who received the word were baptized. Those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So baptism is of utmost importance that the people who submit to it, if sincere, are proclaiming that they have broken with the world, they have been brought into union with Christ, and they intend to devote their life to Jesus. They've counted the cost. I'm going to publicly say I'm following Christ through baptism. Here's the other confusing thing. People say, y'all don't do a public profession of faith at Parkwood. Yes, we do. We do the one Jesus invented, not the Baptist form. A public profession of faith is not preachers standing down front saying, this person's making a public profession of faith. Right there is where you make your public profession of faith. Baptism is the public profession. It is saying, I've broken with sin, I have trusted Christ, and I'm gonna follow him. Now, I'm spending time here on purpose. Baptism has two announcements. It's the announcement of the individual. I am following Jesus. I've trusted in Christ. Secondly, it is an announcement of the church to say we affirm that that brother or sister is following Jesus. Now the church is involved. Who's given the responsibility to baptize? Jesus did not frame the Great Commission to say everybody who believes get baptized. He gave the Great Commission to the disciples telling them to baptize. That responsibility now falls to the local church. So we don't have the power to confer salvation on people. We can't make them saved, but we've been delegated the authority to baptize believers based on their visible faith, their profession of faith, and we must consider carefully those whom we baptize. Because here's what happened. Here's an argument people want to make. You know, early church in Acts, they believed, they got baptized right away. That was Acts 2.41. Bam, bam. Just like that. Now, if you study church history, guess what happened? Once baptism became normal, everybody wanted to be baptized. Because why? If you got baptized, then you're now a that never happens in Gastonia, does it? That if I get baptized now, I'm a Christian. No, I get baptized because I am a Christian. I don't get baptized to become a Christian. Now we have to be very careful with this, with people who are professing faith, and we must be very careful with our own children. So let me dispel a myth that got started at Parkwood. It is not a rule that you have to be 16 years old to be baptized here. I don't know who started that rumor. It is not true. So can we do away with it today? It is not a rule. However, we are very careful with children and adults alike. Here's why. Over 50% of you, when you write your, your, your testimonies 
to go on mission trips, over 50% of you have the same testimony. You were baptized as a child, but you came to faith later in life. That's confusing. I've talked with many of you. We want to be careful and clear that repentance and faith have happened before we go to the waters of baptism. Amen. I hope that's a clear explanation. Uh, we try to be as pastoral as we can be. Glad to talk with you more. Reaching the nations last requires the comprehensive sacrificial making of disciples who make disciples. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, I, I have a question. If I, if I go over to the nations and I preach the gospel and somebody is saved, then we publicly baptize them, which by the way, baptism is a public event. It's to say I've broken with sin and I'm following Christ, which in most of the world, baptism can mean death. You need to understand that. It's not some kind of little sweet celebration that Southerners do. It, it can mean that's the end of your life by publicly breaking with sin through baptism and saying, I follow Jesus. So somebody's been baptized. How in the world can I teach them all that God has commanded? The answer is I can't. So what must be established for that to take place? What has to be established there? A church. So we don't just go to proclaim the gospel and hope people from the nations get saved, we go to proclaim the gospel and to plant churches so that they make disciples who make disciples and they baptize believers and they teach all that he has commanded. Back to last week, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is something we are all participating in. That each of us are sacrificing, struggling with his energy, powerfully working within us so that we see people made into disciples who become reproducing disciples. This is no simple task. Again, that's why I'm going to Romania. Because these new believers, these new believers are very susceptible to saying, hey, we really like to come to the preaching. We really like to sing. And, but we got to now do what? What? We got to get it. What? People have to be taught to do all that Jesus commanded. And guess what's included in that all? The Great Commission. That's part of all he has commanded. Fourth and final thing. The mission of the church will be fulfilled. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Turn to Matthew chapter 24, just a couple pages back. You say, well, pastor, that doesn't say anything about being fulfilled. Well, let's start with the phrase end of the age. What does he mean there? In Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus said this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. 
So before the end of the age happens, the gospel will be preached to all the nations. Now go back up to verse nine. All right, before I read this, you know, you know another reason there are plane loads of people getting off in Romania? I'm gonna speak Gastonia for a minute because ain't nobody getting killed in Romania. But when you land in Kurdistan, ain't nobody getting off but you and Kurds. Because here's what we know. Verse nine is true. They will deliver you up to tribulation and you'll be put to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You say, boy, you're talking me into it today, preacher. Now let's go back to the Great Commission. I am with you all days. Here's what Jesus knows. He knows that, that when we go to some of these places, they're going to hostile, in a hostile fashion respond to the gospel we preach. They're, they're going to reject it. They're, they're going to they're going to persecute. They're even, they're even going to kill. But here's what else we know when we read the rest of the book. We know that in Revelation 7, it says, and after this, I look and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Not just one or two. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and all peoples and all languages standing before the throne and before the land, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So, email came through one of our partners Thursday morning that a week ago Thursday, he said goodbye to a man that he, over months, the Lord had used him to lead him to Christ. He is from a nation that is extremely hostile to the gospel. He was in this particular city studying to be a lawyer. This is a bright, intelligent man. And when the family found out, because when he embraced Christ, he went home and and told them that he was now a follower of, of Jesus. That he no longer embraced Islam. Word went back to the home nation and the family who was helping fund it cut the money off and demanded he go home. So last Thursday morning, he got on a plane and went home. Here's why. He went home to be obedient to the gospel which he had believed. And we don't know for certain, but nobody's heard from him since. Now you hear me. They might have killed this brother last Thursday morning, but they will not keep the gospel out of these people. There will be multitudes 
who gather at the throne. This brother will be one, but there will be others. And he went home. He went home. Here's why. Because he understood the Great Commission as a three-week-old Christian. He went home to tell them why he had become a believer. So, those of us seated on comfortable chairs who will get in comfortable cars and go to comfortable homes, who freely and clearly got up this morning and gathered at a church and have sat peaceably and heard the word proclaimed and got the opportunity to worship God, here's my question to you. Am I, as a follower of Christ, am I embracing the mission of the church that I have been made a part of? I didn't ask you if you believed the mission of the church. You'd have to reject your belief in the Bible today to say you don't believe in the mission. The Bible's hymn to sin. The question is, are you embracing it? That as a follower of Christ, are you embracing it? Let's go back to where we started in this series, 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're not, we're not just saved to glorify God. There's an emissional sense in why God has saved us to glorify him, that we make it known to others that he has brought us from darkness to light. We proclaim this gospel to others as his unique people. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Aren't you grateful for that? Those of you in this room who have called on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then there's a series of questions. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? So hear me on this. If, if a Dagestani person wakes up this morning and says, you know what, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord, they're not going to. You know why? Because they've not believed it. How are they to believe in him who have not heard? That's why they haven't believed. They've never heard. You can't believe in what you've never heard. How are they to hear without someone preaching? So somebody's got to come and proclaim this gospel to them. And, and that's why they've never heard because no one's ever proclaimed. And because no one's ever proclaimed, they've never believed. How are they to preach unless they are sent? Huh? Question. Are God's people sent? How can you deny otherwise? Jesus clearly laid it down in Matthew 28. He has sent us. Go. Go make disciples. So the reason 
that the Dagestani people have not believed is because we are disobedient and afraid. And coming up with excuses. Here's how it goes. Here's how it goes. I've heard this one a hundred times. Here's how it goes. Trust me. I've preached three times. I don't have the patience for this conversation today. I love you. Do not come to the lobby and say to me, but preacher, we got plenty of lost people here in Gastonia. I agree with you that there are thousands of lost people in Gastonia. But I want to appeal to you as William Carey did 200 years ago. When he came to the leaders of the churches in England and called for the first missionary movement, and here's what he got. You ready for what he got? From the, I'm talking about pastors now. The Baptist leaders. Here's what they said to, to, to Carey. William there are plenty of lost people here in England. You just need to focus right here. And, and, and by the way, William, he wanted to go to India. He said, by the way, if God wanted to save those Indian people, he'll take care of that. He'll take care of that. You, you just worry about your people. William took to the pen and started to write. Here's one of the things he wrote in response to that kind of excuse. That there are thousands in our own land as far as God as possible, I readily grant. And this ought to excite us to tenfold diligence in our work and an attempt to spread divine knowledge among them is a certain fact. So I'm with you. We tell you every week, you're sent. Go to these thousands that live here. But it ought to supersede all attempts to spread the gospel in foreign lands seems want to proof. In other words, prove to me that we ought to not go to the foreign lands because there's so many lost people here. Our own countrymen have the means of grace and may attend to the word preached if they choose to. They have the means of knowing the truth. They're faithful ministers in every part of the land whose spheres of action much, much, might be much extended if their congregations were more hardy and active in the cause. In other words, they're faithful people preaching and if they're people in the congregation to get true to the gospel and get out there and spread it, all these lost people would hear the truth. Amen. But with the case of the nations, it's entirely different. They have no Bible. Some of them no written language, no civil government, and no advantages that we have. Pity, therefore, humanity and much more Christianity. Call loudly for every possible exertion to introduce the gospel among those who have never heard. So brothers and sisters, I'm going to bring it down to you. Two simple things today. Two simple things. Somebody said to me this week, I like your preaching. It's direct. I hear you. I could soft pedal this. I could. But let's just finish with one direct statement. 
If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you got two choices, obedience or disobedience, period. Let's pray. Lord, it is sobering and humbling to hear that you have placed on us, your people, your church, the responsibility of making disciples among the nations. I pray for each of our hearts, each of our minds, and all of our actions that we will not seek now to divert that to someone else, to somewhere else, but that we will own the mandate and that we will go here and abroad to make disciples. Do a work in your people. Continue to grow this church to embrace the Great Commission. May we glorify you as we fulfill the purpose that you have called us to according to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.